Hello and welcome back to the Agriculture Technology Podcast. I'm Tony Kramer, your host, and I sit down with agriculture technology and equipment experts to help you enhance your operation for today, tomorrow, and the future. Today with me on the show is Aaron Hightower. Now, Aaron, you've been on the show in the past, but let's remind our listeners who you are, what you do with RDO Equipment Company, and a little bit about your background. Hi, Tony. It's been a while, hasn't it? Absolutely. I feel like I feel like I haven't even seen you since December. And so it's like I haven't even gotten to catch up with you at all. So yeah, my name is Aaron Hightower, and I'm the agronomist for RDO Equipment Company up here in the Northwest, Washington and Oregon. I also do a little bit of work in that California and Arizona section, but mo- most of my time has been up here in the North. Um, and been with the company for six years. And before that, I did resource management planning for uh, NRCS for 10 years. So kind of been all over the board when it comes to agricultural planning, agricultural management on like a larger system side of things. Wonderful. Well, yeah, again, it's been quite a while. Uh, it's great to get you back on the show. It's great to chat with you. Uh, I'm always intrigued, Darren, when you and I get to sit down, you know, myself here, Midwest Ag, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, being the agronomist, you being out there carrying the same uh, position, same title. But we've we've had so many conversations about how different our regions are. You know, I've got a, a little bit of kind of niche area specialty crops. You have a ton of specialty crops. We both deal a little bit in the small grains, a little bit of corn, but your region always intrigues me just because what, what is it you always say? There's 200, 300, 245 different crops in the Columbia Basin region, which is that kind of that corridor, the middle of Washington and Oregon. So, you know, we're constantly, constantly moving, constantly seeing different things. And in the Southwest, we have even more combination of cropping systems. So yeah, it's, it's kind of all over the board. And that's, that's what makes it fun. It's this constant Rubik's cube of information that we're bringing in and putting back out again into the world. So you say 245 different different crop types, different uh, scenarios, different fields you're utilizing. What out of that 245, what is kind of the the core crop, the core cropping system out there? And let's just specifically let's stay in uh, Pacific Northwest, Washington, Oregon. What are let's say I don't know five or ten of the core cropping systems that you usually deal with on a on a yearly basis well we definitely have a dry land and then we have an irrigated side of things and in the dry land we're looking at that mostly winter weeks um almost exclusively depending where you are you either will crop every other year so we are we are a system where we crop a year in and take a year off and then we crop a year and take a year off which kind of expands those decision-making aspects of it that it may have been a good year the last time you farmed it, but now it's not. Um, so we got that dryland region of, of wheat and we'll do some other small grains, you know, some other, uh, and maybe gar- garbanzo beans that way. But for the most part, it's the wheat side of things and maybe some canola. Um, in the irrigated world, that's where it, it starts exploding. Um, and so we'll have mostly potatoes and onions out here, some carrots. Uh, found a turnip fil- field last week, which was something I had not expected to find in Oregon. Um, and then we'll do, again, beans, corn, wheat, 
um, and no soy. I had no idea what a soy plant was until I met you, or I met you out there in June of what was it, eighteen? I went out and visited you. Yep. Um, I, I think I remember, like, I, I don't think it was you where I got in the truck. And I'm like, I have two things I need to see in the Midwest: soy and and clay. I don't know what a clay is. <laughs> Because we're these sandy soils, and so it's always like, what What do you mean you have to wait for it to dry out? <laughs> yes, definitely different, ma- drastic differences in soil types and textures, that's for sure. Now, that I want to go back, just take a second to go back. So I got the opportunity to come out there. I believe this was prior to you being on board with RDO Equipment, but I got the opportunity to go out to Pasco and, and see some of the stuff out there. And you mentioned the dry land cropping, so your your small grains on dry land, and that generally you'll you'll farm a year, you'll farm farm that field one year, and then you'll take a year off. That blew my mind. That <laughs> in the Pacific Northwest, you guys will leave a field, sit fallow for an entire season. And I, I know there's reasons. I know agronomically, economically, everything. There's reasons behind it. But that absolutely blew my mind. We like if there's a field sitting idle in the Midwest, it's for a reason. And that reason is likely because it got prevent plant on it because it was too wet to get planted to be able to grow a crop. So it's like or your or salinity. Yeah. 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 There's just so many it's just the differences are so unique. And like I said, that, that following ground for a year and that's where, I mean, you talk about things like uh, John Deere sea and spray select being able to uh, target on that fallow ground is where technologies like that come in. But it, it's so cool to hear about that stuff and correct me if I'm wrong, Aaron, but you, you guys also have some kind of some orchards, vineyards, kind of some tree grove cropping as well oh yeah and it's it's the uh it's probably a larger part of our operations than i think people realize out here is that we do have the orchard vineyard industry you know washington apples are washington apples for a reason everybody knows those but you know apples cherries um and and peaches nectarines everything like that and and that brings in this whole different world of risk too because they don't have you can't just plant if you have a bad year or something a little different or you know interplant something that that orchard vineyard's going to be there for 10 15 20 years i mean we've got a couple of hundred year old orchards but by that time they're starting to get a little gangly hard hard to see but in both those cases, that's where technology ends up pl- in both the uh, fallow ground, like you mentioned, with the sea and spray select, and with the orchard vend- vineyard industry with some of our selection technologies. That's where the technology comes in and helps a lot because you're having to go across these pieces of ground. It, you know, you have to spray an orchard or vineyard, no matter what. If you lost bloom, you still, and you can't, you're not going to get a crop, you still have to spray for pest management. And so in both those cases, we're doing a lot of spraying where we may not get the crop in the end of it. Um, and, and we still have to spray. So that's where these technologies come in because at least then we're doing some very variable rate spraying in both the dry land world with the select and in the orchard vineyard industry with things like smart apply and getting in there and making sure we're doing just the right amount of application just so that 
we are doing our job and maybe we can use a different mode of action of pesticide because we're only doing exactly what we need. We're using less volume, but we're going to spend the same amount of money and use a different mode of action. Yeah, it's a really good point you bring up there. We generally in in ag or commodity crops, kind of your your corn, soybeans, wheat, things like that, we see all this technology that comes to market. And we, I guess, depending where you are in the United States, where you are in the world, you don't often see some of these other pockets of different crops like the the fruit groves and, and citrus and things like that. And you always think about the technology, you know, is there technology to be able to utilize in a an apple orchard or in a, uh, a wine grape vineyard or wherever, wherever it may be? So it's cool to hear. I know I've gotten on the podcast in the past, gotten to talk to some people, uh, both within RDO equipment, as well as some experts outside of the company just the the technology that's emerging for these specialty crops with um we talk about some lettuce head or or lettuce field technology we talk about the you were just talking about the the orchard technologies so it's really cool to see more and more technology being developed for these specialty crops that are out there well, and that's that's what life is like down in the Southwest too. Um, so I'm working. You and I are both working with some of the our coworkers in the Southwest to be working with some of the new sprayer systems for um, lettuce. This year was our big one that you and I are, are working with them on. Yes, and yep. yes, and those lettuce sprayers, and really understanding that each system has its own way of doing things, and it's really easy for us to need your judge, right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I come out there and what is this weird soy stuff you grow? And you're coming out here and you're like, why do you let a field just sit fallow for a year? <laughs> you know, what are you doing? That's money. Yeah. But yep. what it is, is all of us need to realize that each of these microclimates has its own way of how we have to deal with things where we're creating a production, but also saving and managing our our resources and our energy and our time in a way that is going to be the best for that that piece of land you know that that soil right absolutely yeah it it was really cool for for a fellow coworker of ours down in uh the the uh, central coast of California that Salinas area to uh, for them to bring us in on some of this uh, lettuce field technology that they're wanting to learn more about and, and start to really promote it, learn it, promote it, utilize it to to best grow these lettuce crops. So it's really neat to be a part of that. So let's talk 2023. So we're a couple months in here now, 2023. Uh, I would imagine you guys have gotten going planting in the Pacific oh. Northwest. Yeah, uh, we're going. <laughs> tell, us, tell us a little bit about, you know, how has the 2023 season looked this far um, with ground conditions, crop quality, all of that type of stuff? Oh, yeah, it's it's it, well in, in the northwest and the southwest. It's been a, it's been an interesting start for sure. Um, let's start with the southwest. Uh, let's give them a little little attention here. Um, talk about a crazy year. You know, winter, we went from one of the worst droughts on record to flooding. And some of that has to do with the amount of moisture they got. They just got so much moisture at once. And some of it has to do, again, with the soil textures, well-draining soils. How well is it going to drain? But, you know, you and I were working with our Southwest people on that trial. And they were like, we're going to go in January. And then they're like, and we're waiting. 
<laughs> and we're going to wait. Um, and so it's been really wet down. It's been really cold. It's put a lot of delays out in the world. And now they're trying to play catch up, right? Now all of a sudden we've, we've got less than a week. We need to get the sprayer in. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, and I, I'm sure you've had those same conversations as I have with them out in the South. Oh, yes. So, so in the Northwest, we have really well, or my region of the Northwest, you know, I'm overgeneralizing a little bit. The coast is completely different. Um, well-draining soils, so we don't have to wait for things to dry out, thankfully. But it has been cold, just unseasonably cold. And in fact, I pulled the growing degree days, uh, you know, you and I both do like monthly internal newsletters. And for mine, I pulled the growing degree days for up in the Cooley City region, which is our most northern stores. And the growing degree days were zero. (laughs) It was like, (laughs) we're not, nothing, just nothing. And we had a freak snowstorm even a week ago. So even since... You know, a week or a couple weeks ago, we've had these freak snowstorms, which is, you know, early in the spring still, but still spring snow is kind of unheard of for us. So in all those cases in the Northwest and the Southwest, we're seeing delays. And that just is like, I, I, and so this is going to end one of two ways. You know, this is me. I hate talking meteorology because you try to predict and you just shouldn't, but here we are. Um, it, it's either going to go and stay this ridiculously cold weather, which is going to delay a bunch of stuff, or we're just going to heat up. There's going to be no spring. And so then now we're going to be dealing with that fluctuation of heat. And that's actually what ended up happening in the North. I think we've had more replant acres than I've ever seen before in dry land wheat because of snow mold, which I don't know. Do do you guys have snow mold? Yes. Oh yeah. There's uh, some all over my yard at home right now. (laughs) So for us to get this much snow mold was a little bit of a, we do get snow mold, but not nearly this much. So, you know, I think this all plays into the, it's been, you know, I, if, if I was to summarize for us in the Midwest or in the Northwest and Southwest, cold, wet, delayed. <laughs> that, uh, so, very, very how, similar story uh, in the Midwest. I was going to ask, how is it in yeah. the Midwest? Yeah. It, it, very similar story. Um, we, yeah, just late snow, lots of snow, late snow. We, uh, got into March. I think there's the March time frame, And it was like, we were getting hit with a snowstorm and this again, you, you kind of, we talk about Midwest, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota. Well, our region, when, when I say Minnesota, we are Red River Valley. So right around that Fargo area, Fargo-Moorhead area, Fargo-North Dakota-Moorhead, Minnesota, that's the region. The Red River Valley is the region there. We have Bismarck, so kind of central North Dakota, and then South Dakota is that Aberdeen. Now, of course, there's there's differences, but kind of generalizing to Midwest, we have gotten pounded with snowstorms about every just about every week through the month of March. And then we had cold, um, did not warm up. And then we got hit with a snowstorm beginning of April. And so it has just been this never ending. This, the joke is the eternal winter, um, that, that is not going away. And once right after that snowstorm came through prior to Easter, right after that, it was like, 
boom, we warmed up to 50, 60, 70 degrees, and that snow went away in the blink of an eye. Now, of course, you can about imagine what happened then with a super fast warm-up. We had no opportunity for a slow thaw, anything like that. So lots of water, lots of overland flooding, things like that. Now, um, that's kind of more so in the valley region, our, our Minnesota, North Dakota store. Uh, you go out to uh, the, the central North Dakota, central South Dakota, a little bit different. They got some rolling hills and whatnot. But again, those two regions as well. Um, very delayed, very little field work going on even into the middle of April. So, uh, definitely going to be a, 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 busy spring when, uh, when we get running, um, similar to last year, last year was quite the same in the Midwest. Uh, we didn't have the snow, but we did not warm up. Um, we stayed really cold for quite a while and a lot of planting did not happen until that May timeframe, um, likely going to happen again here, um, in, in the Midwest, same as last year, but, uh, we proved it last year. We can still get it done. Uh, we can still grow a crop in that short window. It's just, uh, a little different uh, when it comes to intensity, let's say. So then, Tony, how, how do we use technology when you're when you're in that situation? Like you are with, a, you said you're kind of delaying and a little bit of different weather patterns. How, how are we using technology in the Midwest to handle? So that is a that? great that is a great question. And one thing I will always promote is just being prepared. So utilizing things like the John Deere Operations Center, setup files, work planner, that type of stuff. Having our displays set up so we get the field. We're not sitting on the headlands trying to punch in hybrids and varieties into the display. We're not sitting on the headlands trying to say, okay, I need to create a new guidance line. It's it's being prepared because we have this delay. We can sit down in the operations center for a couple hours one afternoon and get the entire farm set up with all the data needed in the displays in the machines. Now that is kind of on the data end of things. On the machine side of things, it's things, a lot of technology that's really taking off in this region, uh, the upper Midwest, exact emerge planters. Our planting windows are not getting any longer. It, it no, definitely like shorter here too, yeah. Year over year, it just seems like we are getting shorter and shorter planting windows, and it's becoming more and more important to be able to get that crop in in a timely manner. Now, I know not everybody is excited or not everybody wants to plant corn, soybeans, or sugar beets or whatever we're planting at 10 miles an hour, and you don't have to. Um, even if you go up to six miles an hour, seven miles an hour, you're still being more efficient than that four or five miles an hour. So it's utilizing the technologies that are out there, being prepared and really executing when when it's go time. We can't we can't afford the downtime. We can't afford the delays when it's it can be we can kind of mitigate all of that stuff by utilizing onboard technology on the equipment and by utilizing things like the John Deere Operations Center. I mean, it's funny you mentioned Work Planner. I, I have spent more time with Work Planner this year than ever before. Um, it's becoming the new the new friend. Um, what I love about it is that you, you can do it from your phone. 
So I'll have guys who will sit there and they may even be in the cab and they're just doing it on their phone and then shooting it into the display. Cause that display is hard to put things into, you know, like the, the, the pecking the button until yep. you can spell out the right thing. The, the infamous <laughs> fat fingering, the, the wrong yeah. letter and yeah. Oh yeah. Or, or as my, as my coworker, Joe put it, like, you'll just poke it and it doesn't work and you poke it and it doesn't work. And then all of a sudden you have two of the same letter. You're like, no, it's not, that's not a thing. Um, like work planners become such a big deal, especially when you have operators that maybe aren't comfortable with the technology. Cause then I've taught people, Hey, you put it in with your phone, even if you're sitting there and all the guy has to do is hit setup button and it just all comes together. You know, it's yep. that just one button push. And it's the other thing is uh infield data sharing has been big in our industry because what will happen is you'll have multiple planters in this potato or onion, these potato and onion fields, and they need to not overlap or, you know, they need to all be exactly the same setting. And so being able to have a lead tractor jump in, put that information in it, and it just pop it into the other couple of displays so that they're going within five minutes is huge for us. Those are a lot of good technologies that are out there that are available for customers to utilize. You talk about work planner. You cannot create a setup file from your mobile device. Now, take that with a grain of salt. Yes, if you went into your web browser, you logged on to the John Deere Operations Center on the web on your phone or mobile device, you could walk through the process. When I say you cannot create a setup file from a mobile device, I'm specifically referring to the Operation Center mobile app. Now you can create, like you were just saying, Aaron, you can create and edit a work plan from that mobile app. So um, just some differences there, but the, the benefits of utilizing those technologies I kind of want to piggyback onto that. Um, I would imagine you you said you're getting questions about work planner, questions about data sync, things like that. Um, we in the Valley, or I should say in mid all of Midwest Ag, um, we're getting a lot of questions about AutoPath. Um, yes. With, with the ability to um, either a strip till and then a plant and, and a spray and a harvest, or if we're just doing the planter, what uh, AutoPath is, if you don't know, uh, you could actually go back. I should take a look here. I believe we did a podcast on that back a couple seasons ago when it was initially introduced. Oh, gosh. Where is that? Oh, it's been a couple years. Be? Yeah. Yeah, it's probably back in 2021. Is that what? That sounds about yes. right. It yep. was, it was, episode yeah. That was one, about that. Episode 163 back in 2021 was when it was first introduced. Now, here we are, um, 2023, couple seasons into it. More and more people are getting curious about it. More and more people want to know more about it. But go back and listen to episode 163. But essentially, we are documenting every row unit on that planter, and each row unit has the ability to be a guidance line. So we talk, you run your planter through, you create those source operation lines, you come back in with your sprayer, your guidance line is automatically there. You come back in with your planter, your guidance line is automatically there. Uh, here in the Valley specifically, we're getting a lot of customers with sugar beets that are, are curious about it. Um, there's a lot of row counting, a lot of guess row uh, headaches that happen with sugar beets. Um, guys want to be able to utilize AutoPath. So 
Autopath is definitely one uh, kind of similar to like you were saying with the the data sync and work planner. Uh, here in Midwest, uh, Autopath is going to be a very popular one for us. Now, with all of that, Aaron, what? Let's leave our listeners with kind of one nugget, one piece of information. I'll let you share yours, um, then I will share mine. What is kind of the the one biggest recommended step for this time of the growing season? I know you guys are are kind of well into your growing season. Um, we really haven't started here yet, but what is one recommendation you can give our listeners uh, that will help them uh, kind of ease some stress throughout their growing season? Oh, I've got, I got, I've got one for the, for the Northwest and one for the Southwest, if I can. Um, For the Southwest, I would say one of the big things is we did have those delays. And so now we're, we didn't get a chance to spray when we should have for some of, some of the critters and fungals that we're, we're having to deal with. And so what I would say is, um, you, you, we've got to put application in right the first time. We cannot afford a second crossing of the sprayer, or maybe even we're having to fight back a bigger pest uh, stress than we're, we're used to. And so the number one thing is you got to be spot on with your sprayer. Your pressure has to be perfect. Your nozzles have to be perfect. And that means going in and checking your nozzles, checking your pressure, checking that sprayer system to make sure that it is correct and ready to go. Um, I think that's, those are the kinds of examples of things that we need to do. Um, because it, when we had growing seasons, like we did 10 years ago where we had wiggle room, we could get away with a bad application here and there. And I just don't think we can do that anymore, partially because of our growing season being so short this year, partially because the inputs are so expensive this year. Uh, I think we're going to have another year of those high-priced inputs that we're going to deal with. So putting it down right the first time just has even more value than it ever did before. So checking your nozzles, making checking your, your labels even, you know, checking your labeling and making sure that the, the recommendation hasn't changed, that that pattern is right, that that pressure is right, that you're getting that absolutely spot on is going to be a big thing uh, for this. I mean, for everywhere, but I think in the Southwest, that's where I'm really pushing people towards is making sure your, your, uh, your calibrations and everything is exactly right. Um, in the Northwest, we still, we still got a little time, you know, we'll keep planting even into June, depending on some cropping systems that we're working on, on that one, it's making sure it's set up right. And that means a couple of different things. First off, if this, if there was a year to pay for inspections, this is the year for it. Um, you know, knowing when it, things need to be spot on because you can't, you were talking about exact emergent. I guess I'll piggyback on that one a little bit that, you can't have a bad application or a bad planting this year. And so just making sure that every wiggling part is, is set up right, that, you know, everything that needs to be tightened is tightened and everything that needs to be calibrated is calibrated becomes a really big deal. Um, and maybe uh, putting a little more emphasis on that, that uh, strategy of making sure everything's done right the first time 
is kind of a theme I'd like to go with this year because our windows are so short. Both of those pieces of, of uh, recommendations that you shared, I mean, that can even go for us here in the Midwest, Being making sure you talk about application, making sure you get it down uh, when and where you need to with, with input prices, everything like that. Uh, it's very important. And then you talk about the Northwest, making sure your planter is is well optimized. It's set up to do the best that it can possibly do because I mean, it, when it's go time, it's go time. We we don't have the opportunity to. Made, everybody always says I've, I've I shouldn't say everybody always says, but I've talked to a lot of farmers in the past, and they say you know generally speaking, of course, age plays a factor in this and and whatnot. But generally speaking, you only have about let's say forty or fifty chances to plant a crop in your entire farming career. You can only do it once. Now, yes, we've got replants and things like that that you don't necessarily want to deal with, but you only get one opportunity to plant that crop each year. So making sure you're focusing on it is is a is a big key. So hopefully the one recommendation that I share can also kind of piggyback into the Northwest and the Southwest, as well as any other listeners out there around the United States and the world. But my one recommendation kind of comes on the data side of things. Um, one of the the headaches that always happens kind of later in the season is guys wanting to know, you, they want to analyze their yield data based on, let's say, varieties or hybrids. So when it comes to collecting that data, that information, I always remind guys this time, kind of the spring of the year, the beginning of the season, Collecting good, clean data is very important. Take the 10 minutes to put in or right now utilize the John Deere Operations Center or whatever FMIS platform you're utilizing. Put in the proper hybrid name. Put in the correct variety. Put in the right uh, uh, chemistries that you're utilizing And by collecting that good, clean data, you're able to actually utilize it. You're able to make educated decisions right at that moment or year over year over year. So my big push this year is really collecting the good, clean data, whether it be planting, seeding, spraying, harvest, all of the different levels, even tillage. Even collecting good, clean tillage data, um, it's kind of neat. I've been doing a lot of kind of internal studying, internal research in regards to planter performance and tying it to tillage. So getting those tillage documentation layers and analyzing that against planter performance. And it's crazy how much stuff kind of comes to light when we start better understanding our tillage passes. So that's oh, absolutely. My- and, 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 you know, I don't think people think about not only on, on a planting side of things, but think about uh, fungal and, oh, and yeah. some of that yep. side of fungal load. And um, that's what we deal with in, in probably as much of anything with our tillage. We don't till for drainage like you do. We till for, for seed bed prep. And then some of it is just managing that fung- fungal load. So definitely excited to see what your research comes out because that's been something I've been trying to push for years is there is so much benefit in documenting your tillage. Oh, absolutely. Making sure we're tillage, 
planting and seeding, application and harvest, getting all four of those layers into your farm management software, uh, the John Deere Operations Center, and utilizing that data. We can collect the data. Let's do that first, and then we can analyze the data. So hopefully these recommendations that that Aaron and I shared with you here, you can kind of take it onto your operation, no matter where you are, no matter where you're listening to this podcast, hopefully it's beneficial to you um, to to kind of listen in and hear what recommendations we have for for the beginning of this season Aaron, if anybody wanted to learn more or, or kind of follow along with you, is there any place that they can go or or follow or whatever it may be? You can find me on uh, rdoequipment.com. I'm at RDO Aaron H on Twitter. Uh, I do a lot of article writing, so you'll find me popping up in, in different uh, different publications. Uh, but we're, we're definitely excited to see what this season does. And hopefully we can we can come back and talk about how we were right and wrong in a couple of months. Yeah, it's kind of a 50-50 toss-up on whether we want to be right or wrong. So I guess we'll we'll roll with it and see what happens. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. You can subscribe to the show on all the different podcasting apps that are out there. Also, make sure to follow RDO Equipment Company on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and catch all of our latest videos on YouTube. You can also follow me on Twitter at RDO Tony K.